Hi, everyone. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford. He is the one and only Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. Wes, the Seattle Seahawks in a few days will be on their way to Green Bay to take on the Packers in the NFC Divisional Playoffs. Lambeau Field, Sunday, 5.40 p.m. Central Time kickoff. And as we get into our discussions of the Seahawks throughout the course of the week, this is something I find really interesting. The Seattle Seahawks in a very prosperous decade, right, for the franchise. They've been known for an incredible home field advantage, for a powerful running game, and for a stifling defense. The 2019 Seattle Seahawks lost four games at home, but they are 8-1 and one on the road after winning the wildcard game on the road at Philadelphia. Their top-ranked running game that was built throughout the course of this year has lost all of its top running backs. And the defense that everybody comes to expect is actually ranked in the bottom third of the league in the regular season in both yards allowed and points allowed. So this is not a, the classic Seattle Seahawks type of team that we've come to expect but yet here they are, just like the Packers, two wins away from a trip to a Super Bowl. Yeah, I think I've always said I feel like there's a lot of parallels between Green Bay and Seattle, uh, and it's been that way for the last 10 years. And I think that's probably kind of an offshoot of John Snyder and his touches uh, on that franchise since 2009. But also this year, I think their response to adversity, when you look at the final eight teams that are left in this playoff hunt, these two teams are there because how they've responded to having to overcome injuries and setbacks and defeats. And, and the Seattle Seahawks, you know, Matt LaFleur said it at the, the podium on, on Monday, they are a tough team. Now, I think the one constant binding this all together, the glue, so to speak, is Russell Wilson. Yeah, no question about it. Undoubtedly one of the top five quarterbacks in the National Football League. It's going to be able to cover up some holes for you. When they lost the running game, he became more fleet of foot. They've had different players like you know DK Metcalf and certainly Tyler Lockett now for a number of years has been a difference maker at receiver, and he's found ways to make do with those pieces. And I just think when you really break it all down, his ability to extend plays, much like Aaron Rodgers, is such a huge advantage for Seattle's offense, especially the way that they're structured. Now the question I wonder is, they had 17 backfield carries last week for 19 yards. That is just, you've never heard of that before with Seattle and the way that they structure their offense. Not to mention then being successful and winning a playoff game with those types of numbers. So what I wonder is, if they can't get Homer going, if they can't get Lynch going, how far can this team go? Does the run end on Sunday? We'll have to wait and see, but certainly with Russell Wilson, he always is going to give you a chance. Well, it certainly seems that as this year has unfolded, the Seahawks continue to put a greater and greater burden on Russell Wilson to make this work. There are times, and obviously since you and I cover the Packers and we're traveling and everything else, we don't always get to sit down and watch complete games of other teams. But the times this year that I have watched the Seahawks for any length of time, it seems that there are significant stretches of games where when if they can't get the running game going, where suddenly everything offensively is just off schedule and improvised, and it's all on Russell to run around and make something yeah. happen, either either scramble for the first down or you know get right over by the sideline, and then suddenly boom, he whips a pass to Metcalf or Lockett or somebody like that. A lot of the off schedule stuff, and I think the Packers heading into this matchup, you just 
you have to be prepared to play defense for seven or eight or nine or ten seconds on every play. It's just going to be this this extended battle on every single snap to get a play over with when Russell Wilson is doing what he's doing. Yeah, and a fan asked me that in Insider Inbox this week. Do I feel like they can keep up with Wilson for 60 minutes? I actually do think they can. Uh, for whatever reason, when you look at Russell Wilson's career statistics, now obviously he won the Phil Mary game, he won the NFC Championship game, right? but his numbers are not gaudy against Green Bay. He's struggled. Now, one of those games was historically so, but still, I mean, his, he has the lowest passer rating against Green Bay than any other team in the National Football League. And I think one thing that Dom Capers did well, and even to a certain extent last year Mike Pettin did well, is their ability to kind of keep eyes on him at all times rush from inside, contain the pocket. You want to make him throw in that atmosphere and have him step up rather than getting outside the, the hashes and, and really doing damage because that's when his feet can become a real problem. What I like, though, about this the way that this defense is constructed is you have multiple guys that all can play that spy role. Mm -hmm. It can be Kyler Fackrell. It can be Zadarius Smith. You have a couple safeties and Adrian Amos and, and Ibrahim Campbell that I think are up for it. That's such a critical thing because when you look and when the Packers had problems with the read option in 2012 and 2014, they just didn't have a guy other than maybe Clay Matthews that could really play that role. Mm -hmm. In Matthews, you didn't want to take him out of the pass rush. So right. I, I just think all of those variables are things that are going to benefit them in this game because it doesn't have to be one guy that's on him for the entire game. Mike Pettin can mix and match depending on what he wants to do with his personnel packages. And I, I, real, I fully believe with the way they've developed Darius Smith and how Kyler Fackrell has played a very quiet but important role for this defense all year long, that's going to give them a lot of flexibility. That's going to not allow the Seahawks to be able to pinpoint one guy that they need to you know, basically stop. Yeah, well, I wanted to get into some what, what we perceive as some of the key matchups in this game, kind of like we did a couple weeks ago with the the big game against the Minnesota Vikings on Monday Night Football. And as we're talking here, is Mike Pettin versus Russell Wilson, is that the matchup that essentially defines this game, do you think? I think it is up there. Uh, I, I think it really is. I mean, when you look at how Pettin and the, the run that this defense has been on now for the last five games, um, that this historic streak of holding teams underneath 20 points, 20 or fewer points, uh, being able to generate turnovers. You know, not, you know, they. I feel like they've curtailed a lot of those explosive plays that kind of bugged them in the middle of the season. Mm -hmm. They're still not perfect. There's still areas that they need to work on and, and certain things that they need to, to change. But all things considered, I think as a unit, as 11 people on the field at one time, they're playing as well as they have all season. So, Russell Wilson's is going to challenge that, though, right? Yeah, Much no like question. Aaron Rodgers will. Yeah. He's going to challenge your integrity. He's going to challenge what happens once the pocket breaks down, once the play gets extended, and how you respond to that. They haven't really seen a guy like this this at this point of the season, maybe with the exception being Lamar Jackson, with that being a preseason game. So yeah. Yeah. I, I just think there's so much history between these two teams, uh, so much knowledge that this defense is going to have of him. Obviously, Pettin's seen him a number of times as well. Uh, it's going to be a really intriguing matchup, but ultimately, who wins that particular chess match between Wilson and how Pettin wants to defend him? That has such critical implications for this game because of how much Brian Schottenheimer is running this offense through Russell Wilson at this point in time. Yeah, well, I think the other one people are going to have their eye on, certainly, and we'll see. With regards to Seattle's running game, Pete Carroll has already mentioned he wants to give the ball to Marshawn Lynch more, that now that Lynch has been back for a couple of games, they, they may start trying to feed him and, and establish him more. 
But DK Metcalf was the big individual star of that wild card game against the Philadelphia Eagles. And this is a young man, a young receiver, a rookie who has really, really come on strong, I think, in the back half of the season, certainly not looking or playing like a rookie anymore. And I think it's an interesting decision for Petten in terms of how to match up with him because from a size perspective, you have the six foot three Kevin King. Yeah. But by the same token, your best pure cover guy is Jair Alexander, who from a size perspective is a little bit smaller. Obviously, you can rotate around, you know, clouds and safety help and, and different things. I'm really curious to see because I don't know what ultimately Mike Pettin is going to decide here. I'm very curious to see how he decides to defend DK Metcalf. I am too, because not only DK Metcalf, but, you know, Tyler Lockett in the slot, that's not a position that Jair Alexander typically is in either. That's right. where Tremont Williams is. So how right. do you use number 23 against Seattle? That's a great question that they're going to have to answer. It was really fun listening to Tremont Williams and a tip of the cap to Tremont Williams. Uh, he, he said he had two minutes quick because he had to go get a massage in at the end of locker room on Monday. He still stuck around for six and a half. <laughs> but uh, near the end of that, he gave one of his best quotes, I felt, because he was asked by, I believe it was Jim Ozarski from the Journal Sentinel, uh, about you know, if he sees any parallels between Metcalf and Calvin Johnson. Yeah, Megatron. And he's like, you know, for as big as Metcalf is, and he's big and he's fast, Calvin Johnson was bigger. I mean, that just <laughs> gives you an idea of what kind of talent he was and, and yeah. how difficult he was to defend. But at the very end of that, he said there are comparables between those two guys. And I just think with Metcalf, he's such a great story. I, I, I wrote this in Inbox, too. He's a guy that I think I personally have always kind of pushed for a little bit. Because I don't know if I can remember a player with no off-the-field issues, no character flaws. It, there wasn't any of those type of questions that caused him to fall. It was just this incredible scrutiny that was placed on his game. And yeah. you know, maybe I'm a little bit more sensitive to this because I just did that Alan Lazard story three weeks ago. And Lazard talked about you know when you're 6'5", the challenges of, of proving to teams that you are a receiver and that you can be accountable there. And that you have the speed and, and, and you have all, the speed and to all do those it. things. And DK Metcalf, who everybody said couldn't run routes, they were showing these videos of, oh, this is an impressive route running, or he's not fast enough, and here he is making a huge impact and is a yeah. big reason why Seattle's made it to this place in the playoffs. I'm excited to watch him play. I'm excited to see how the Packers match up with him because I think when you look at the difference makers, the playmakers with Seattle's offense, for the first time in a long time, it starts with the receiver position, and it starts with him. Yeah, well, when you look at some matchups on the other side of the ball, Bobby Wagner, K.J. Wright, a couple of linebackers who have been doing it for a long time for Seattle. They're, Bobby Wagner certainly the you know the heart and soul of, yeah. of that defense and has been so for a long time now. The Packers are going to get Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams going in the running game. If they want to get those running backs going in the passing game, it's about finding a way to get those linebackers blocked because because Wright and Wagner, those two guys can, you know, the, whatever it is, 53 yards wide is the field or whatever the measurement yeah. is, they can cover the whole thing sideline to sideline as the saying goes. And I think uh, um, those are the two guys the Packers have got to, uh, they've got to get them blocked to get uh, Jones and Williams involved to the extent I think that Matt LaFleur is going to want to get them involved. Yeah, and you mentioned you know all the changes and how different this Seattle team is from some of the ones we've seen in the past. The one consistent factor throughout the 2010s and the decades was just really high-level caliber play at middle linebacker. Yeah. Certainly Wagner and, and Wright are a big part of that reason. 
But what impresses me the most when you look at Wagner's game is we're talking about a guy that's now in his eighth NFL season. In this day and age, it is getting more and more difficult to be a high-impact player at middle linebacker into your eighth, ninth, tenth season. Mm-hmm. It's just with the speed of the position, the speed of the game, there's just certain things that you see certain guys step up in their first rookie contract and almost sort of like a running back, they just can't sustain that level of play yeah. into their late 20s and 30s. And the whole proliferation of sub packages and yeah. everything else where you know guys are always looking for a, a specialist to fill in here or there and whatever. As you said, Bobby Wagner is the constant in, when, in that Seattle defense. Yeah, and when you can defend the nickel or the pass in a true nickel, that's, a real, that's an advantage for a defense yeah. right now with the no way doubt. the game is structured. But for Wagner to come back, him and you know Blake Martinez were right there with each other all year long for the the tackle lead in the NFL. Wagner ends up getting it at 159. I, I just he's he's a difference maker. And seeing how I, I wrote it in inbox today, I just feel like this game has to start on the ground for Green Bay. I, I threw out those statistics when you look at Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams when they rush for 100 yards. The Packers are undefeated this season. They're six and zero. That number becomes seven and zero if you want to throw in Aaron Jones going for 159 receiving yards against Kansas City. The offense when they produce, the Packers win. And seeing if they can penetrate that front and get those middle linebackers moving too, whether it is through the pass or the run, right? That is just I think it's such a huge tasks that the Packers need to accomplish in this game for it to go the direction they needed to. Yeah, well, we also mentioned Jadavion Clowney yesterday, and I apologize. I meant to look up before we came in here, but is Clowney primarily going to be over Brian Balaga? Or yeah, that's sort because, of been the way. he lines up on their left side, right? Yeah, it's really, when he was in Houston, they just would put him anywhere. Yeah, I, they moved him I, all over the place. I drew those comparisons with Zadarius Smith. I mean, you look at how much Zadarius played off the line of scrimmage this year, it's pretty uh, emblematic of what Clowney did in Houston. He was really effective in that role. But Yeah, they, they were doing that in Houston with Clowney and Watt and Merciless and, yeah. you know, and, and shuffling those guys uh around all the time, but he seems to be a little bit more predominantly on one side. The defense is left, the offense is right. Yes. I think Balaga is the one who's going to see the lion's share of the work, so to speak, against Clowney on Sunday. Yeah, and Clowney's such a funny player because if you look at him this year, 13 start or thirteen games, 11 starts, he only had three sacks. He actually had more forced fumbles than he did sacks this year <laughs> with four, also threw an interception for a touchdown. But as a number of pundits and analysts had pointed out from that game against Philadelphia, I mean, you want to talk about that defensive performance and why the Seahawks were able to dominate the way they did and, and really keep the Eagles out of the end zone. It starts with Jadavion Clowney. Now, he will rush both sides. I mean, they, 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 they do still flip-flop those guys. I think in this day and age, you really it's difficult just to key in at one spot Yeah, because of the attention that you know potentially the, the offense is going to give you. But all that being said, I feel like this final stretch of the year, uh, after we worked through some injuries, I mean, you're seeing a guy that, that was a first overall pick that was maybe the most highly touted defensive prospect entering the NFL since, I don't know, maybe going back to 2002 with Mario Williams. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many people that were high on him. And, and while he's never had like that 19-sack season, he's just been a consistent performer, and he does it in a multitude of different ways. Packers have an very interesting week they have to go through here. Uh, with the offensive line, they're kind of battling a little bit of an illness bug. They were able to get Balaga back at practice on Monday. He's still in the concussion protocol from what I understand, but the fact that he's out there and with any setbacks, you would hope that he'll be on the field on Sunday because having him and David Bakhtiari in a game like this, I mean, you can, as you tip your cap to Jared Valdir, a very admirable performance that he had against the Lions. Yeah. 
But Bakhtiari and Balaga are the reason why the Packers have made it to this point of the season and being as effective as they've been on the offensive line. Bakhtiari also welcoming in a new left guard in in uh, Elton Jenkins at the right guard. It's been Billy Turner moving in next to Balaga. Yeah. The way that those guys have galvanized that offensive line, it's been so critical to success. And if you're going to be able to hold up against this Seattle front, you're going to need those two on the field. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, certainly there. I want to back up for one second, though, because I neglected one thing with regards to the Packers' defense matching up against the Seattle offense. We saw in the wildcard game, the Seahawks up front offensively had a really, really hard time with Fletcher Cox yeah. of the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, they're not the first offensive line in the world to have a hard time with Fletcher Cox. He does that to a lot of people. But my question for you, Wes, is seeing what number 91 for Philadelphia did in that wildcard game, what do you think that means for, say, Kenny Clark or for Zadarius Smith with the way Mike Pettin has been moving him inside to attack on the interior at certain times? What do you think, what do you think that means or, or what might we be seeing uh, come Sunday in terms of that type of matchup? Well, and it depends. You know, if Mikey Apati is going to be able to play in this game, that's then sort of the question mark Yeah, for the them. veteran guard was not available against the Eagles in the wild card round, but some early reports were indicating even when he was ruled out for the Eagles game, that if the Seahawks advanced, they were expecting him to be available for round two. Yeah, it was a big loss earlier this season. They lost Justin Britt, who had settled in at their center spot for right. the last few seasons. Joey Hunt, I believe is a former fourth or sixth or seventh round pick for them, has been sort of like their Lucas Patrick. He's been in the, the, the you know the practice squad and on the roster for the past two years. He's been the guy that's settled in there. But the film is what it is, and there was a lot of disruption that was caused by Fletcher Cox and, and what Philadelphia was able to do in the middle. And I've always said, if you want to know, not really a blueprint, because anything can change in any given week, but, I mean, the history is when you can pressure Russell Wilson from up front, not only does that make it more difficult for him to escape the pocket, it doesn't allow him to step into throws when he needs to make them from the pocket. I really believe, Mike, this game has to be about Kenny Clark, Dean Lowry, and Zadarius Smith what kind of disruption they cause, and also how they're able to stay fundamentally sound in their rushes to not get beat on the other side of that. Because if you do lose containment, Russell Wilson will go up the middle of the field and he will burn you for 10 to 15 yards at any given time. That is going to be such a huge challenge, I think, for them. But when you see what Philadelphia did with Fletcher Cox, who at this point in time, I'd put him right up there with Kenny Clark. Oh, yeah. Or I'd put Kenny Clark up there with Fletcher Cox, I should say. Yeah, I agree. I, I just think there is a, a plan and a formula for what Mike Pettin can do to make life as difficult as possible for Russell Wilson in the middle of the field. Okay. One last thing to throw at you here before we go. I mentioned at the top of the show the Seattle Seahawks 8-1 and one on the road this year, 7-1 and one in the regular season. They win the wild card game on the road. They've got this whole road warrior mentality going. Packers are 7-1 and one at Lambeau Field. The last eight Packers-Seahawks games and 13 of the last 14 Packers-Seahawks games have been won by the home team. Do you think it means anything? Um, I think the, the latter stat does the home field advantage because I think both of these teams historically, not just this season, have played well to their home stadium. I mean, you can talk to Mason Crosby about the advantages of a kicker knowing what it's like to be in Lambeau and yeah. in the quarterback and the defense. And when you get this crowd going for meaningful games, what that does for this roster and how difficult that can be for an opponent and certainly century length, that goes without saying. So I understand the challenge for both teams going into the other stadium. 
Now, this might be the pessimist in me. Okay. But a lot of people will look at the 7-1, and one, now 8-1 and one record for Seattle, and they'll say, I mean, they're road warriors, and they are. Yeah. The proof is there. Yeah. But I always look at that as a disadvantage going into this, much like I kind of looked at the Packers going into U.S. Bank, you know, as kind of yeah. a disadvantage at times, too. Yeah. Group one, Green Bay is a much different place to play. Uh, in with the weather, if it can be in the twenties, if there's maybe a little bit of snow, that's a game changer, especially for a Seattle team that hasn't been able to consistently run the ball since Chris Carson got hurt. But more importantly than that, it's really difficult to go eight and one as a road team. It's even more difficult to go nine and one. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it, it, there's probably a glass half empty, half full approach to how you got to view that number, because sometimes while it does look like it's a team that can handle that. There is another side of it that says this is a team that might be due for a poor performance on the road too. Well, there's one thing we definitely do know about both of these teams, and that is that they know how to win close games. The Seattle Seahawks have won 11 games with a margin of eight points or less. This year, the Packers have won eight of their victories with a margin of eight points or less. So these teams, they know what it takes to win close games in the fourth quarter and certainly, if Wild Card Weekend was any indication, we're going to have a four-quarter game on our hands. It's going to be a dogfight. Yeah. I, I don't see any other way around it. We were always talking with John Kuhn about this in the locker room uh, when we we're kind of like breaking down this matchup and what you know those exact numbers too yeah. of how many one-score games these two teams have been in. I wouldn't anticipate it being a blowout either way. And the thing that makes it the most captivating is the one-score games. I understand how those can go either way, depending on a play here or there. Or, you know, maybe a lucky bounce. But there is something you learn about yourself, and there's a confidence and a swagger that comes with it when you are on the winning end of that so many times. Mm -hmm. I think so, too. A real argument can be made. These are the most forged teams in the NFL when it comes to fourth-quarter football. And seeing what that battle looks like as night falls on Lambeau Field on Sunday (laughs) night, it's going to be really exciting to watch. Yeah, I think so. And this is a topic I think we'll revisit as uh, the week goes along here. But for now, we're going to call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team, previewing this big playoff matchup on Packers.com. You can subscribe to us, like us on iTunes and other podcast services, and check out all the great video content on the Packers, excuse me, YouTube channel. For Wes, I am Mike. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. See you next time.